How are you? Not so bad. Long oh, time man, I got a got a dose of good weather this week, and I was sitting out the backyard, and I was thinking of when I was well, the first time when I was fifteen, and I went to Slane, and I saw REM, and I think they were supported <laughs> by by Oasis and someone else was Oasis were like ter- third or fourth down the list. They weren't a big like as a big name at the time. Anyway, it got me thinking. Jeez, like Slane, it just it's what was one of those. So Slane is a is a gig that happens in a place called Slane, which is out, kind of outside Drogheda, so not so far away from where I grew up. And it's on the River Boyne, the famous River Boyne, and it, it's in this huge natural amphitheater with a castle up on one side, and the river down on the other, and the stage right down in the middle of it all, with everyone just gathered around. And it usually gets about eighty thousand people in one field in one stage <laughs> and i was thinking about uh the different like the different experiences that i've had there and uh, like i was remembering the the time the, the year first year when i was 15 because all the vendors around the outside of the um the concert are selling drinks all day in these paper cups right so mm-hmm. they're all getting trampled into these flat paper cups all day and then at about like four or five o'clock definitely before sunset just spontaneously some people started throwing them no actually sorry there was one other thing which happened before this which is the human pyramids so about three or four o'clock that's when all the human pyramids start and maybe they were like this when you were there Dom. like human pyramids getting maybe six or seven people high then toppling over maybe you might see an, an ambulance make its way into the crowd and then leave again and anyway the paper cups which like eighty thousand people throwing paper cups in the air at the same time spontaneously like just mm-hmm that feeling of looking at that and then later on in the evening looking at that same eighty thousand people probably many pints deeper all burning those paper cups and holding them up like like little lanterns just the most gorgeous bot slash horrific so <laughs> you can imagine on the side of this hill just lovely lovely stuff was it just, like that when you used to go there i uh, look so so i went um i went a couple of years i went to see bruce springsteen um oh, you on didn't. the barn in the usa tour i, I went there I went there the day after Bruce Springsteen with my dad to go and have a look around the ground for what people see what you could find. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, and and I don't know if it was a year before or two years before that, I went to see Bob Dylan and Santana. They were top of the bill at UB40 and in Tuanua, the great sort of Irish, I don't know what they were, they were like sort of folk punk-ish band. They were like, they were the, the first on and I travelled down with my good mate Alex Campbell, who regular listeners will feel like they know very well by now because I talk does to Alex, him all the time. Does Alex listen to this? I, I don't know. He should. He should at least. We do. Hello, Alex. I hear about you all the time. You're famous <laughs> in my house. <laughs> well, he was the only friend I had, so, you know. Um, he, his sister and her husband drove us down, and um, I just I remember it. I mean, it's just it's classic memory of being young and like I was like we were 16 it was a hot summer we stayed up really late in the pub the night before I stayed over at Alex's house we sat up late listening to the radio and we heard that there'd been some kind of weird little riot outside the police station and in Slane and uh, and then we drove down at like five in the morning and just as we were heading out Alex's house his brother rolled in from the pub (laughs) and says where are you boys going we said "We're, we're going to Slane he says, oh, hold on and I'll come with you. So he ran into the kitchen and he, he cracked a couple of eggs into a cup and he drank them and he says, right, oh. boys. And then he says, 
oh, you know, I think I'll just go to my bed. And, the, and away he went to his bed. So, so when we went down to Slane, stopped off at RD on the way for um, for a wee break in very mossy toilets. I remember these incredibly mossy green toilets. We get to Slane, it's roasting hot, sitting out in the field. People are just slowly accumulating. There's a guy lying unconscious in front of us for the first three hours that we're there. He's got a big gash from the top of his head right down, <laughs> right down the back of his neck, round behind his this ear. This is all checking out. This sounds like slime. And I'm like kind of, you know, I'm only 16. We're like, whoa, this is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do when this guy guy wakes up? <laughs> and uh, and then so we see all this and then Dylan comes on and it's one of his, if, if anyone knows Dylan, I'm sure there's a few Dylan fans. who. It's that 1984 tour when he toured with Mick Taylor and Ian McLagan and it's generally um, recognized as being one of his worst lineups zero rehearsal time just they just kind of went on the road and it was all a bit of a mess but i mean i had no idea at the time it was very rocky and lots of um lots of les paul solos and but he also had bono come on as a guest and van morrison came on and sang it's all over now baby blue and what else did he sing i think he sang crazy love or something and then after all that so you do the concert and you've kind of had this amazing experience the summer day into the summer evening the chill <laughs> blowing off the river and then you get home at like four in the morning well no then, you missed a big bit you missed a bit where eighty thousand people try and remember where their bus is well, <laughs> that's the classic bit of slang that no one no one no one talks about oh I'm, that's my favorite bit after a day of standing in a field was the then was looking fine. from a bus <laughs> And then oh. sitting, and then the sitting, just sitting for hours as traffic funnels out along these narrow country roads. But then a week later, you get the hot press issue, right? The Irish music magazine hot press. And the front cover of hot press is a picture of Bob Dylan slathered in stage makeup with eyeliner and a leopard skin uh, shirt you know, um, playing yes. a Stratocaster or a Telecaster and it's just like, you get to relive it all again by reading yeah. this massive, massive coverage of it and this interview with Bob Dylan conducted by Bono where uh, Bob Dylan at one point talks about Paul Brady and some Irish band called Plankston. <laughs> Plankston. <laughs> Plankston. <laughs> Plankston. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, just pouring over that, you know, as your as your youngster. Anyway, getting off the well off the beaten track here, but uh, what a what a gorgeous memory. There's a picture of me and Alex actually at that. Actually, I was going to say it was at that. It's not at that. It's at the Springsteen gig. These were just two young guys looking incredibly innocent, standing right at the top of the big slope with a stage in the background and the castle yeah. up to the right, and it's just. Uh, yeah. Sweet, sweet memory, and it'll be a long it's time be before a, anybody's going to be there again. I'm sure. Yeah, that's that, that's going back to the original thought. That was it. Like when yeah. do you get eighty thousand people in a field all screaming along to the same lyrics? Yeah. Well, actually, I want to use that as a segue. Well, <laughs> because <laughs> Go lots on. of things are moving online. I was going to mention the uh, the O'Flaherty tree and retreat and your video that you made the other night is what <laughs> I was going to mention. Uh huh. Um, so I, I did a wee, I did a wee video. Just it was one in the morning, and I've been thinking about the O'Flaherty retreat. And I was so the O'Flaherty Irish Music Retreat is based out of Texas, and 
it's an amazing retreat where some of the top players get together and they run classes and they run workshops and their sessions and um there's all this um what would you call it um there's all this extra material that's um you know discussions about various aspects surrounding um the culture of irish music and you know how does irish music survive in a contemporary setting or our regional fiddle styles disappearing, all this stuff. So it's a, it's an incredible, um, it's a feast, and it's it very is. very accessible because of COVID. It's all online, and registration is open. And um, if anyone is even remotely interested in spending some time and really investing in uh, their playing, I couldn't think of a better way of doing it. It's brilliant. So check so it out. So we actually we had Ken on in uh, so sorry Ken Fleming I shouldn't just use his first name so Ken Fleming was on the podcast in episode 52 if you haven't already go back and have a listen to that you'll get a real sense of what Ken's about and his vision and, and why that retreat is uh, is so special and I've actually been uh, following Ken really closely over the last few weeks to see what's happening with the um, the online retreat because for work I kind of I dabble in that area of of um, virtual events and I'm seriously impressed with what the the gang there are putting forward they're really pushing the boat out and, and pushing the limits on on what a virtual event could be not just your normal um just stick a webcam up and go for it they've, they're really yeah. pushing it out so um Ken if you end up hearing this good on you man keep keep it going I'm really interested to see what happens yeah so you can uh, get details of that by going to our show notes um you can get those at blarneypilgrims.com it's a new website that we have up, and so that's the bl- best place to find them. FlahertyRetreat.org is the direct link as well. Ah, okay, FlahertyRetreat.org. Brilliant. So check it out. And that's also where you'll find details of today's guest, who is the Dynamo. She's a Dynamo. <laughs> Karen Dolan uh, from County Cavan. And this is just, uh, I don't know, this is just a full-on brilliant chat. It's such good laugh, such good crack, and the playing is bish, bash, bosh. Don't you reckon? (laughs) Completely. I think this, again, was another late-night recording for myself and Dominic. I'm a bit of a grumpy bum, usually, if it gets too late. And again, it was just, just good crack. I felt like we could just hang out for hours more. In fact, I think um, uh, Karen did say at the end of it, we were like, thanks for, you know, giving us like a c- couple of hours of your time. She says, oh, she says, I could I could have talked to you for another couple of hours, which is high praise. I sent a know? part two because I realized that um, during the week that we uh, we jumped a, a whole part of her life, which I'm sure is a, a it played a huge part. The whole section of um, going to university in Dublin and playing around Devitts and playing in the bars around and, and the sessions in Dublin. So maybe there's a part two down the road. Watch this space. Yeah, but for now, here is part one. This is Karen Dolan. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Karen Dolan. Thank you so much for joining us on the Baloney Pilgrims. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thanks. So what did we just hear? Um, I think the first tune is called Calope House and the second tune, I'm not sure the name of it, but I got it from uh, Damien O'Kane's album. Um, it's a really class, class album. But um, what, uh, yeah. what made them come to to your hands today um the first one we actually recorded on the local cd um data sessions and the second one i I just think it's really cool and it's got a nice f sharp minor start to the second part and (laughs) it's just really (laughs) got a good groove to it so yeah um there are two beautiful tunes calliope house i've I've always loved that tune i think it's a scottish tune originally that's just i think so yeah because i I, I got that from Damaris, um, the woman who taught me the banjo, but it's usually played in D, but um, we actually, we needed a tune in A to go with um, a different jig we had for the album, and my brother actually always played that in A because he just thought it sounded way nicer, um, and it, it, it just makes it a little bit mellower because it's usually up starting on the high A, but when you start on the E, I don't know, it's just, it's sweet. So Karen, it's kind of customary for us to, to start at the beginning, so... Where did your musical journey start? Um, it started when I was pretty young. When I was about four, my brother was learning how to play the tin whistle. And actually, a first cousin of mine, Porrick Lynch, was teaching uh, group classes in the primary school. And I used to go in with my mother to collect them. And I used to sit in sometimes just, you know, kicking my legs, watching everyone play. And I used to say, he's wrong and point at people. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't play at the time so they started me on the keyboard when I was four it was about the length of my arm and when I'd go up onto the high notes the thing would go up on its side and <laughs> I hated it and when I was five I got a big keyboard and I gave that up when I was six I begged for a mandolin so I like to think that I started when I was six but really I started when I was four but like I can't remember anything from learning the keyboard I don't usually even talk about it with anyone but I'm I suppose so confused with the, I'm so confused when it comes to keyboards so my, my, one of my kids is learning keyboards at the minute and there was a, like, I remember at school there would be a few kids that learned keyboards but it always struck me and I hope I don't upset people by saying this but it just struck me as a as an instrument that just didn't I don't know where its natural home is like, I don't yeah, know where it's supposed to live I agree like I was learning trad on the keyboard and I think to learn trad you need to have a classical grasp on it now maybe I'm wrong maybe there is people that you know can just do trad on it but I think it's very hard to sit down and teach someone the keyboard and say right this is how you vamp because then you just think that's that's it that's all you do and I was there trying to learn Donian of the day with one chord in my left hand like it was Mm -hmm. desperate and everyone shouting in the house saying stop (laughs) But yeah, no, a very difficult one if you want to play Irish music to start on because sure, there's so much there and it just doesn't sound right until you... Until you're brilliant really... at it. <laughs> yeah, in my opinion. Like, well, there's, no, there's, there's, but... no, there's something to that because, Darren, you know, you're saying about that. But in fact, the the I think the thing about the keyboard is that um, it, its home is everywhere, right? I mean, because it it has so much potential variation in it that it's um um yeah anyway that's all i've got to say sorry <laughs> but how do you how do you choose a how do you, how do you choose to get away from the bossa nova beat for long enough to uh, <laughs> to get into jigs 
it's kind of like the harp like you know you wouldn't have someone learning the harp but never learning how to play the chords on it you know and mm. you know you know having the classical influence but that's my opinion on music as a whole i don't think anyone should you know bottleneck themselves into one particular genre because it makes you know music is music it's it's everything you know it's not just one way of playing you know mm-hmm. everything has to come together in harmony and the more you can learn from other sources the better you'll be like yeah does that there's only there's one fella who's who shows up to our local um session and he brings his casio keyboard and i, I think it's i don't i don't remember ever seeing it is it is it a common thing for people to bring a portable keyboard like that to sessions no like not usually like um I love like the juncture position of this guy. He just sits in the corner. Dom, you know, you know I what do, I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. I, I don't know his name, but he's 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 often there, and he just he has got the little Casio, and he's vamping away, and it's brilliant. I I think it's quite brave. You see, um, you know, I have a couple of friends now. I I don't play with them all the time. They would come along with a keyboard, but um, someone who rocks on in with a keyboard bigger than themselves definitely. We're all expecting you to blow us all away. You better be good, like, because you're taking yeah. up four places there. Yeah, imagine the weight of it just in batteries alone. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. Space. We were you were you were saying so you were four and then you were six when you moved onto the mandolin. So your your proper start. What happened then? Um. I hated the keyboard, I suppose. Um, but I, yeah, so I really idolised my cousin Shauna, um, which was poor ex-daughter, who played the banjo. And I wanted a banjo, and that's all I wanted. And I was warned, you have to learn the mandolin first. And so I got a mandolin when I was six. And my fingers used to be killing me. My mother used to dip my fingers in methylated spirits to harden the fingertips because mandolin strings are so much harsher on your fingers than banjo strings. Um, and eventually when I was eight, they got me a banjo. So I was happy then. So the idea of the mandolin, is that just a size thing? I think so. But now it's it's... It's easier to progress to the banjo than it is to pick up them to start with the banjo and then pick up the mandolin someday. It is quite a different technique. Um, you, if people, I find with students that people who um, students that start on the banjo and then all of a sudden try to pick up the mandolin can be sloppy mandolin players. Now, that's only from experience, or maybe it's lack of patience when you're accomplished on one instrument that you're sort of going, I'm not gonna go back to the basics on this one, you know, uh-huh. but. Mm-hmm. I find it quite easy to start students out on a mandolin and then progress onto the banjo and cost effective as well. Like, you know, banjos are quite expensive when you get quite good at them. And if someone who has, you know, got a 300 euro mandolin, 300 euro mandolin is, is pretty good. Like, um, and, and the, you're, you're, the mandolin, I mean, things are, things are very reachable on a mandolin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mandolin, it, it's, it's a, it's a different sort of technique. It's, it's quite hard to, be a, a solid clean mandolin player um and, and and same goes for the banjo i think you it's the sort of instrument you can get away with being a bit rough on um but that, that's just my take on it i think my my style of playing i'm a bit cleaner um and i think that came from from the mandolin at such a young age and probably damaris's style she was very very clean sort of a player so, so who, are we, who are we talking about there um who's teaching you D- Demar- damaris woods damaris is um she's a banjo player from luton and 
I didn't realize Teresa was actually from Luton as well until I was listening to your podcast. But um, she she plays with the Young Wolf Tones, so I'd say that's how people would know her pretty well. But she was living in Kilskier, um, in Mead, and she used to come down and teach Shauna Lynch, my cousin. So I started with Porrick on the mandolin and the banjo, even though he's actually a button accordion player. But just because he was my cousin and he was teaching locally, he used to call to our house and. I think it was a Tuesday evening. And then when I was about, I'd say about nine, I I think they realised that I was I was going to play the banjo. So I started going to Damaris. And Damaris then took over the teaching in our house every Tuesday. So she used to call and teach me and my brother. And we had a music room in our house. And word spread. And loads of people from the locality used to come to our house to get music lessons. Mm-hmm. But just because we had like a, we had a room out the front that was had his own door quite isolated from the rest of the house so maybe i don't know six six people could call on a tuesday night and get lessons from tomorrow's right. from our house so it was like you know i would hear the tunes they were learning because it was in our house like and then you know ones that we became friendly with would come into the kitchen and we'd sit down and chat to them and play cards or whatever was that in, was it was this in cabin Yes, and Mullahorn. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's such a uh, such a cheat for they had to fast track kids into loving the the social side of of the music because if you just if your if your house is the center of the attention, like just there must have been a great um, it's just a great opportunity to be around other peers who are also excelling and absolutely at such a young age. And it was a great way to get out of homework for one day of the week. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how to do that with my kids. I send them in for, for music practice and it's like, can I go do some maths? <laughs> we, no. we, we we used to have the timer set on the oven for us and until the timer went off and it wouldn't matter if you were in the middle of the second part. If the timer went off, the instrument got thrown down. It was just bite. <laughs> yeah. And it, when you said with um, Damaris, is her playing similar to what you how you play now? I would think so. Yeah, she was quite um, quite particular about triplets and being crisp, crisp and clear. I can still hear her. <laughs> and yeah, she was very particular about getting her trebles clear and yeah, just quite solid playing. She and would is that be... was that was it? What was the transition from the mandolin like? So was Damaris involved at that stage, or had you already started playing? No, I, I transitioned to the banjo with Pork and then it was it was just banjo with Damaris and flat tunes when it came to the mandolin. What did you say, flat tunes? Yeah, so, you know, it, the mandolin only came out once a year and that was for the flat. And yeah, the two tunes, and I practiced the two tunes on the mandolin and she'd only listened to the mandolin tunes maybe coming up to the flat because, you know, I was pretty established on the mandolin and having started with it you know i was practicing it essentially play, practicing the banjo every week so just keeping familiar with it for the flower was kind of enough at that stage it probably wasn't but in my head it was <laughs> yeah I, was it was it getting you enough like when you say for the flower you're talking about competitions in the flower yes the, sorry yeah. yeah 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 only competitions yeah and so where were you getting placed with the, with your two tunes um with the mandolin yeah i i always came I always got on better in the mandolin competitions than the banjo. Um, and I, I don't know why that is. I think maybe it was confidence because um, I stopped competing in the flat 
from under 15 was my last kind of age group. I think I did senior once. Um, but I was always a bag of nerves in the flat. I wasn't when I was younger, but um, when it came to the banjo, my nerves always got the better of me, whereas the mandolin, it didn't. And I don't know why that was. Maybe it was just... I, I, I got to the All-Ireland flat when I was, I think, nine or eight or nine in the mandolin, and I was so chilled out. I didn't know... I didn't even know it was such a big deal that... I, my feet couldn't reach the floor and my mother always reminds me that I was swinging my legs in the All-Ireland Flat and Clamel playing Whelan's jig and I was so happy I think <laughs> I repeated my second part three times <laughs> and I didn't have a notion that I came down happy as Larry now if I went to do a flat now on a stage like that well I would just be petrified <laughs> Do you remember the moment that the nerves kicked in? Um. Yeah I had to compete in the county flat in somebody's sitting room in Killalek in County Cavan. There was not enough space. And I actually, I think I won the, the banjo under 15 that year, the county flat. But um, around that time, I started getting nervous because I don't think, I can't remember if I didn't compete in the, no, I did compete in the Ulster flat that year. I'm pretty sure I did. But I just remember around that time, that's when the nerves started. So I must have been, I must have been 15 at the time. Then do you remember like what was it was it more the fear of of not doing well or what people were thinking like what what was the nervousness? Um, I suppose. I suppose I I I I know what I'm capable of, and then not getting that across probably got in the way because even over the years, you know, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty similar now. Like um, you know, I love gigging and I love playing. And I, I just, I could close my eyes in a gig and not have a care in the world. But there's something about being on a stage or even in a room. It wouldn't matter if if there was one person in the room. I'd be the same. It's just, I don't know. Maybe it was practice because I think I was so past. I was never a competition person. I was so above competitions. I was like, just get me out of here. I want to go play in a session. Like even when it came to the Ulster Fla, it was I was tired from the night before and I just couldn't wait to get through with it because I could go join my friends and actually learn something in my eyes. Do you know, I I just I don't know. I felt like I wasn't learning anything by competing yeah. in Flas. It's funny how um just playing when you play and when something enters your head now, when, once you once you step once you allow your brain to move into that other part how when i say other part i mean once once you let nerves get in or another thought get in how it can just that one thread is is able to to unhinge on nerve it's, you completely it's, it's and, bizarre because music is such a it should, it should be our happy place which it is for me and i think maybe i knew that at a young age that playing on my own like that's not what I signed up for day dot I don't think it's what anyone signs up for when you first become engrossed in music it's your friends it's the sitting down playing it's the oh listen to this tune and a flash setting like that's just it like flas are important and I think they are really important because it sort of like well for me it brought out the steadiness it you know the drive and determination to sit down and get things crisp and clear and knowing that you can accomplish that is a big part of learning music and I think I ticked that box when I was younger and then I realised yep don't like this this isn't for me I'm not happy I'm not in my happy place and I'm doing a competition and I avoided it for so long that when I go back to that it's it's like this alien place that scares 
the hell out of me. I, 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 I don't know. I think, I think it affects loads of people. But um, mm-hmm. so, so then now as a as a sort of mature player, right? You you adjudicate in Flas, or have yeah. been, right? So, so how do you approach that with that knowledge that that for yourself that it, that it wasn't a great fit? Um. I'm a bit I, like when you see those poor petrified kids coming in. Yeah, I am. Um, it, it is really tough. Like, um, I I try not to do that. Like, I I I don't I don't know. I just try to make them comfortable. But like, I think young kids don't get as nervous because I don't think I don't think they care as much. And I think they're so concentrating on the notes. Like when I sit down, I don't even know what I'm really playing. As in. As in, I'm not going D, E, B, C. Do you know, they're not calling out in my head. I'm just sort of playing away. It just sort of flows. Um, but then I think when you get older and you're like, oh, right, okay, get this tune right. You know, something that maybe I ha- I never do. Do you know, I never worry about how the, the next note is going to come out. Whereas when you're younger and you're concentrating on that, perhaps that masks the nerves. Maybe I should, maybe, maybe I should take that approach on it. But definitely when it gets to the older age groups, I'm a big believer in recalls because for me, the last time I competed in senior, um, I was recalled in the banjo. What does that, um, what does that mean? Calling back to play another tune. And right. when I was recalled, there was two of us recalled and he called both our names. Who wants to go first? I shot up. I was like, me. Yeah, me. Because I didn't have time to think about what I was going to play. And I sat down and I played a tune. And in my opinion... I played it so much better because I just didn't think about it. I just went down. I just did what I do. Um, but yeah, I know I love recalls. I, I think that it sounds like a, a good place to have a tune if, if you fancy. Yeah. Or a set yeah. up to you. Um, is Jeremy going to join us on this one? Or? He is, yeah. Yeah, he's going to join me. Um, yeah, we're going to do two reels, sure. What, what are you going to yeah. do? Um, we're going to do the Maids of Castle Bar into Bunker Hill. Um, the Maids of Castle Bar... We actually, it's the first tune, I'm pretty sure it's the first tune on the first track of the Locals album, Data Sessions. And uh, Bunker Hill, just, I don't know, sat down and played it a few days ago and it just, I don't know, it just went well with the Maids Castle Bar. All right. We'll give them a go. Thank you. Cool.
that was cracking. <laughs> there were the only two sets we really um really picked out. So after after this, now I'll be winging it. <laughs> hey, so I was going to ask you. So you're talking there about um having uh, these folks coming around to your house on a Tuesday night and stuff. What was it like growing up in your house? How many how many's in your family? Uh, just me and my brother, uh, right, Dar- Daryl. Right. Yeah. What were you hearing around the house? Like, were your mum and dad, did they play as well? Uh, no, they were very into it, though. Um, Aye. My, my father did try to learn the baron at one stage. Um, but my, <laughs> my mother, my mother's grandmother played the fiddle. And it was like, it was like having gold in the house. Like, this fiddle was just so important, even though no one played it, no one touched it. But um, she was quite close to her grandmother. But maybe that's where it stemmed from. Like, I, I feel like that was, you know, more of an influence on us than my first cousin, Porik, playing, even though, you know, he was the one that was around in the beginning. Um, but yeah, they were very into the music. Definitely my mother drove the country with us. Um, and yeah, but it was great. Like, I have to say, I had a great opportunity to, you know, making friends is so important in music. I can't stress that enough to my students and to the parents out there, like, um, so definitely that element of the trad scene was easier for me because they were in my house all the time. They were around. Um, and because it came from every angle, like I always say, you're going to become good at something if you're immersed in it. Like, And if you're living and breathing it, you have no option but to hear it. And I think me as a four-year-old going into the lesson saying he was wrong, that, that came out in me. Like I wasn't even playing, but maybe I knew from my brother playing at home but I knew when people were making mistakes um but I was always better at spotting what's wrong more so than what's right like if I'm if I'm teaching even now and a student could be playing the Mary Blacksmith or I don't know any tune or whatever and I could be there thinking about what I have to do when I go home but they could play the wrong note and I'll just go f (laughs) and it'll just trigger something in me you know I'll just I'll I'll, I'll hear the wrong note and um so I, I can always I can spot the mistakes more so than anything. Um, do you have to? Do did you find over over time, not just in musical terms, but that because uh, I'm similarly inclined, I can often find what's wrong with something a lot more easily than I can yeah, come, I'm, out, come out with what's right. You know what I mean? You, Dominic. No. I know it's hard <laughs> to believe, Darren. I was just waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm very like that. Like I walk into a room and I can go. That moved. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> and it, I suppose it works in my favour because I'm a lab technician and uh, something I got into recently is auditing. So I have to spot the flaws, which is, you know, like... it's. Wait, wait what pro- did you... Sorry, what, what did you say there, Karen? I'm, I do auditing in work. Like, I'm a lab oh, technician. Right. So I have to, like, basically look at systems and find the flaws in them. And I suppose even at home, it's a quite an annoying... Uh, you know, trait to have because poor Jeremy. <laughs> but like, like, I suppose I'm like that with everything. I can just, I can spot things that are out of place and wrong. And yeah, I'm just particular. It's very important to communicate those in a sensitive manner though. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> vital, vital. Yeah. <laughs> uh, brilliant. So, um, so you're driving around the country a lot and, um, I, I, you know what I'm so just what I'm wondering about is um, aside from the you know the teachers that you had and so on like what other kind of music were you listening to um, when you were growing up? I mean, presumably it wasn't all traditional, right? Um, been from Cavan. Country music is massive. Um, Aye, yeah. country and western. 
Yeah, yeah, country is massive. And then I suppose with Damaris being in the Young Wolf Tones, <clears throat> excuse me, um, there was just, there was a lot of singing. So my father was a, a brilliant singer as well and he was a brilliant driver. And I used to sit on his lap and learn songs I could tell me ma when I was, I, I God knows what age, I'd say three or four. Um, so that got me into singing at quite a young age as well. So yeah. Did you say driver? Jiving, yeah. You know the... You know, two people out on the dance floor swinging each other around to yep. the the country stuff. Yeah, yep. very very, yeah, yeah, yeah. very big up um, our way in Cavan because um, yeah, living in Waterford now with a with a Corkman, you know, Cavan is like Jeremy always says is the Stone Age up there. <laughs> Do you know? We get... <laughs> I was actually going to ask, what what is Cavan like? Because I I grew up in Drada and I think I was saying this to Don when um, before Cavan, it's all, it's such a blind spot. And the country for me, and I'd imagine Drogheda probably is to people from Cavan too, because it, you 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 don't really there's no reason to go there unless you're going to Cavan. That that's my kind of that was my <laughs> life anyway. Um, what what is Cavan like? Lots of lakes. Um, <laughs> lakes. Tons and, of water, isn't it? Tons of water everywhere. Lakes and potholes. I think there's three hundred and sixty-five lakes. <laughs> um, and how many potholes? Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Only two on my road, so yeah, that was. It. <laughs> where, where, what's the um, what the what is the connection to country music? Where did that stem from? Was there was that kind of like, did was it there before the line dancing of the the nineties and the eighties, the nineties, the Garrett Brook years, or is it? Oh yeah, I'd say it's like it like Big Tom been from Monaghan and Declan uh-huh. Nerney yeah, and Declan Nerney is in Lanford, like and yeah, it's just, and plus Cavan, like. There's not many places to go out in Cavan. You know, you either go to a nightclub um, in Cavan Town or else the other social outlet for people is the country club, which only became popular in recent years. I think, um, you know, before before I was even born, I think the the Jivan people went to the Glencairn and that, like in Monaghan and probably the Four Seasons. I don't know, but um, definitely the Kilmore in my, I suppose, more my early college years. Um, I would have went to the Kilmore on a Saturday night and that was all, you know, Nathan Carter coming down and Derek Ryan and Go on, paint a picture. So what year are we talking about? And paint a picture for us of that because I think I know what you're talking about. Like, um, when the when the country music really started, I'd say about 2011, 12. I feel oh, like right, that. Okay. I think, yeah, I think that's when Wagon Wheel, Wagon Wheel really vamped up Irish music, like, um, or sorry, country music. I think I think uh, as in like wagon wheel by Nathan Carter. Uh, who's it? Yeah, I I to me that's that's what brought country back. Like before that, it was always there. It was nearly like, do you know, the old boys at the end of the night singing their their rare old times, and do you know there was always that trad element of of jiving and country, but it brought it to its a whole new level that it was nearly like country pop. Does that make sense? And it was it was it was in with the with. With the teenagers and the young adults, which There's you know that's fun. That's like where I, I so I grew up in North Antrim and a huge country and western. Um, I, I, I big fans of country and western. They're particularly folks of my older siblings' generation, right? Right. Um, and so I know exactly what you're talking about as well. I can picture the hotel, but probably I'm thinking maybe 30 years be- before you're talking about it. Like I can picture Smoky Hotel, my brothers in flares, 
um, you know, jiving at a wedding to Big Tom and the Mainliners, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. and to, to me, Begley. yeah, yeah, there was always those tapes on the tractor that, like, you know, that one tape that never left the tractor when you were younger, and it was always <laughs> Philomena Begley, like, and I, I think we nearly grew up not liking it on purpose because it was just overplayed, and then I just think it got a whole new lease of life when Nathan Carter came on the scene and shook up wagon wheel like I like that to me is what really did it and it became cool it became a a a new a new hobby and a new way of living nearly for the young people of Ireland you know where especially the ones that weren't into the whole nightclub scene which I definitely wasn't you know um if I wasn't playing music or whatever on a Saturday night that's probably what I was doing was going to the country club and those sort of outlets right was there many um when it when it came to to music and sessions, what how much was going on when you were when you were young? A lot, an awful lot. Because if there wasn't a session on, we made one. <laughs> That's because I suppose because we were like the music center growing up, and it was there all the time. It became this like thing that we needed. Like as in, you nearly got stressed out if you didn't play every so often. It was like okay, who's around? get on MSN or Bebo or whatever it was at the time, I can't remember, and get on to people. But like, I suppose, yeah, up until I was about, I'd say, 14, we were around it quite often. And then around that time, we started teaching ourselves. Well, I was about 14 when I started teaching. Um, And at that stage, I wasn't doing weekly lessons with Damaris. She, Damaris was away touring and she could leave 10 tunes and be back in three months. And the week before she'd come back, I'd be like, oh, where are those tunes? And I'd be scrambling everywhere looking for them. <laughs> but at that stage, I was I was going to sessions and if I heard something I liked, I recorded it. And I was a devil for recording. Um, I would record everything, even if I didn't have my banjo with me and I heard someone playing somewhere. And I think I still have all of them and I'm still like that. But around that time, I started going to other people's gigs and going to festivals and workshops and my phone was everything for me and every morning going into school on the bus I would plug in my earphones because no one no one talked at that hour of the morning anyway um but that's when I did all my learning was just sitting on the bus listening to my tunes and and are we talking like sort of early 2000s yeah 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 um I'm trying to think back yeah yeah, around that. So, where were the what sessions were you going to? Like, who who were you playing with? Where were the sessions? That kind of. Um. So when I was when I was younger, when I was about, I'd say around ten. Let's say, um, I was going to McGinty's in Cavan Town, and that session, I'm pretty sure Martin Donahue, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of him, the Cavan man. Um, Martin Donahue used to run a session in McGinty's on a Sunday morning, and I suppose you you keep running into the same families, um. The Sweeney's from Kilachandra, the Bannons from Gauna. Uh, in later years, the Flynn's, they were from outside Caventown, and the Gagans, um, Kilagari. Yeah, they were sort of the main trad families around. Um, and we, we kept running into them, even though they weren't families coming to our house for lessons. But they were the families that sort of went to the, the Willie Clancy every year and were going to Damaris's Igshenum workshops and... In later years, like, but we, we used to run into them when you'd travel far and wide. So every Ulster flat, they'd be there. Whereas the local musicians maybe coming to our house every Tuesday mightn't have been into it enough to 
to go to all these festivals every couple Aye. of weeks and months. Um, so that was maybe when I was around 10. So, yeah, probably very early 2000s. And then, then after that, the sessions... Well, Kilishandra used to have a session in the Shamrock and the McGoverns, Port McGovern and his brothers and sisters ran them. And the same people would go to those sessions. They were on pretty much nearly every second Saturday. And... Then when I got to around 12, I think, I started, I got this notion of learning the fiddle. I asked, I begged my mother for Jeepers. a fiddle. Yeah. And not, it just, <laughs> but I think just in, before we even get into the fiddle, like you're so young and in the first place with all these sessions going around, I just, it gives you, well, it gives me the impression of just, just how good or involved you you were. Oh, like it, it, it came from every angle. Like, so yeah, like, Back when I was 10, so then, you know, my cousins were playing and the lessons were in their house, first of all. No, they weren't, sorry. The lessons were in the school, then Park started coming to our house. And then when Damaris came on the scene, I'd say I was around nine, nine or ten, uh, then the lessons were in our house. But then, I suppose, like, you know, score, which is ran through the, yeah, scores ran through the Catholic Church, um, and you had to play with your club. So then, what score? Just for uh, folks who don't, it, it, it's it's a competition ran through the Catholic Church, and it's you know you, you could have set dancing, and it's right. on in a community hall, and Aye. you you usually do it with your local GAA team. Oh no, yeah, it's, it's maybe it's just through the GAA, maybe the Catholic Church one was the uh, community games, but um, and Riadori. So they're 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 all variations of the same thing, and these sort of competitions are more common in um I suppose uh, more rural parts of the country you know um the built up areas they wouldn't they wouldn't be as common because this is all we had to live for was football and um music all the time and we started doing those competitions and there was always group music so we'd be playing with people in our primary school um for these group music competitions and there could be set dancing music there was a sketch part of the the whole competition night it's sort of like it's like a big event every year that everyone looks forward to i, I don't know what to compare it to even maybe like a fela with with sports this is something similar for um everyone else i suppose that isn't you know sporty talented i don't know <laughs> well um would you give us another tune maybe a blanket on the ground or <laughs> I, 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 you, you, you want to jive or something <laughs> I, I just you know just uh, so, some uh, country golden oldie would be great just <laughs> um yeah wagon wheel oh god <laughs> it's one of the best tackles isn't and it? Do, do, wagon wheel. i actually love backing songs i really do um but it's something that just doesn't sound right on your own like you'll you know the gaps in the music especially in the banjo i you, do, you, you can do a lot of filling on the banjo but like you know just to do that that's why I dread when people say oh will you teach Mickey Joe here um I don't know Bodgy and Isle Me or some some song uh-huh. you know Wagon Wheel and you'd be like oh it just comes out all wrong like da, 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 da. And, and, <laughs> and, and and poor I can't remember the child's name I gave Mickey Joe or Jimmy Joe mightn't get it out right because it, it mightn't sound it mightn't sound right if you know what I mean like just the the back inside of it um, and, and plus you know when you're backing songs and stuff 
So you're just throwing in any sort of chord and notes and just trying to make the song sound better. Like, you know, you're not sticking to a script as such. Um, and, you know... Not when I'm playing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, it, it, it's quite hard to, to teach. Well, for me, it's quite hard to teach people the way I back songs. It's not hard to sort of write out the notes and give them the notes of the song, but to get across what sort of stuff I'd be doing in songs, yeah, that's that's a harder thing to just sit down and show someone it's, because... It's the vibe. It's the years of yeah, different influences that I had that resulted in my playing, so it's no yeah. it's no one thing, like... Yeah. Um. So so what do you fancy playing? Um. I really don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I think I'll do a jig. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. called Pagina Rafferty's I got it from D- Desi Donnelly's album is where I um, took that version from but yeah um, just before we move on because we were just be talking about about singing just before and singing songs I was um, reading the the excerpt of um, 
Well, I, I can't actually remember what was the 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 book that was been written about um, Kevin music that uh, I, I would have read about yourself and Daryl. Oh yeah, so um, Anton McGowan, a really really well known fiddle player from Mullahorn originally, um, he's putting a book together, um, just about probably mu- mu- music in Mullahorn and I suppose with Sean McGuire passing and his Mullahorn um, roots. He just wanted a, a, a synopsis, really, of the different influences we had growing up, what we did for music in our community, and yeah, yeah just be interesting to to um, to see that when it comes to light. The the bit I wanted to mention was just I know we joked at the very start of this, and then you've just mentioned about songs, but I remember reading in that that you that you were learning traditional singing at one stage with um, Ethan Murray. Is yeah. that something that, where, where did that come in and how long did it last? Like, is singing something that you still do? Um, on and off, yeah. <laughs> um, traditional singing, yeah. So I suppose I was singing before I was playing. Um, learning I'll Tell Me Ma and all that with my father in the kitchen. Um, and he was a very good singer, my father. And yeah, it was always the more country stuff, but to, I suppose, I don't know, my mother had this notion of getting me trained to do um, traditional singing because, you know, going to sessions when you're younger, it was always that person standing, singing a Shanos, unbackable sort of a song. And I started learning that style of singing. It, it wasn't for me, to be honest. Um, and But I, I still did it. I competed in flaws, even though I didn't like, because I, I was never good at remembering the words. I'm, I'm still brutal at it. Um, and I'd always have two really strong songs and you'd have to go into the flag and give them four and they'll pick two and I was always like oh they better pick these two because I really have no notion of yeah. the other ones <laughs> um, but I I stopped that and I suppose when I hit about 16 no when I was 16 I just started doing my own thing with songs um, but it was just for fun at home when no one was listening sort of thing <laughs> was, was your mother a big influence in in pushing you towards traditional music rather than other kinds of music oh absolutely yeah yeah she was the driver right literally as well as um yeah yeah literally she was the taxi and um the pusher (laughs) (laughs) she was the one that's uh, that that stood with the page covering you know you know when you have the notes in front of you and there could be let's say two two long lines or or four small lines of the first part she was the one stood with the a4 page over the rest of the lines saying play that until you know it right and then she would pull the page down another line and say okay now now play them and now put the two of them together and you know when you get thick throw the plectrum not the mandolin (laughs) you know she really taught she because she 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 taught us all these things you know um I suppose probably my brother throwing the tin whistle down on the couch when he was younger and I had nothing to throw when I was getting annoyed. So, um, yeah, she was very good like that. She had some patience. So, so um, I mean, this might sound like an obvious question, but why was she wanting you to play so much? Do you, do you have an idea of like how she would answer that question? Um, I'd say she really wishes she had the chance to learn how to play. Um yeah, I th- I think that's it. Like I think, perhaps she never had that opportunity, and, but yeah, she, it nearly sounds like she, 
we were in music camp growing up like in the house it it, it sounds like that but I think it was just it was just her outlet as well like she yeah. lived for it like she, she just loved it like where did where did she grow up um drum lane where? it's Bill Turbot direction in County Cavan right. but it's the from from Manor side so she would have grown up on the border and um so then the the other um part of singing that I think we sort of touched on earlier was was lilting yeah so that began the, that's a fun <laughs> <laughs> that was a long that was a long pause so yeah the lilting career started in the house as well um Sean Lynch actually um Sean Lynch is I think through marriage yeah I think his wife is a sister of Anton um who's writing the book I'm pretty sure I hope I have that right but um Sean Lynch a fiddle player from Mullahorn as well um his daughter Ashley and me actually did duets in the flat together and um just just once or twice like for the crack because we got on well um we didn't go to primary school together but we used to just run into each other at probably county flats and stuff but his father was in the house one day and I, I remember him saying you should lilt and he sat down and he tried to teach me how to lilt and I'm pretty sure I heard Aoife Murray's Lilton on a CD and I lilted Ward's jig. I don't know if you know it. You know that. That's just, yeah, that tune. Uh, no, keep, keep going. I know, that wasn't Lilton. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's how it started. And I I learned how to lilt up that and I, I can't remember who said it. You should do that in the flat. And um, my brother will go mad for saying this, but the same year I did that in the flat, he decided to do the whistling in the flat just because it was a competition that no one entered. And it was nearly like, oh, come on, let's be mad and just do these competitions. <laughs> and um, I, I feel like I started a trend because the following year, there was two more in the Lilton competition. And then it was like, oh, I'm better than them. I'm going to have to work hard at this now so I, <laughs> so I can keep a hold of this. Like, And um, yeah, I suppose that's, I, 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 that's how I, I won the Ulster Flat three years in a row and that's probably my best achievement which is not it like it just says probably that there's not many people that do the lilting or or maybe I did concentrate on it a lot I don't know but the All-Ireland Flat never went well for me because um, I I always lost my voice <laughs> from too many late nights eh? yeah I always went to the, the Flat for the full week because um, I'm not shy I don't know if that comes across <laughs> but uh, I was always a talker no <laughs> I was I was always a talker and I'd come to the competition and my mother would put me to bed early than I before and she'd be spooning honey into me and I'd get, go to the Lilton and probably mix your nerves and the voice went gone. But definitely in those years, I, I don't think I, I... I was never worried or concerned about the Lilton, what people thought of me. So I, I feel like that was never an issue, but probably the voice went gone. Um, and it still happens to me to this day now. I can have one late night and the voice will, the voice will go... So, so what, what, how do you, um, like there's, there's a, an aspect of lilting that seems instinctive, right? We can all hum a tune, we can all sort of vocalize roughly little segments of rhythm. How do you go about learning the vocabulary? Um, yeah, the hardest bit of it, in my opinion, is deciding what sort of a noise <laughs> Right. <laughs> or words that you're going to put there so like I'll, I'll do the first part of a tune and it might make sense when I do this so I'll do words jig because I mentioned it so 
Dum dee dee I do do dee dee three day hootle dee dum dee dee dum 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 a, a, a tune I've never lilted before the choice element of it is what scares the hell out of people because oh what am I going to put there and then oh does that sound weird well it all sounds weird but <laughs> but I, I think it's the cho- choice element of it that puts people into panic mode myself included and practicing it is quite embarrassing <laughs> I used to practice in the shower if I'm completely honest when nobody be listening to me I just try and be away from people because you like it takes a lot of work and effort to sort of go, right, yeah, I'm happy with that. So learning that one as my first one, well, it was actually on a CD, I heard it. So I kind of just kind of copied it. But And would you copy it like vocable for vocable, like like literally no. syllable for syllable? or No, but I listened to it a few times and in my head I was replicating it pretty well. But by then I was comfortable with the choices of the choice of words that I had in my own head for the tune. So... I was happy enough to go with it. So, like, I don't know. If, you, if you're if you at home there or if you're driving in the car, it's a great one. And you're go- thinking of, I don't know, a well-known tune like My Darn's Asleep. It's nearly like, it's the, it's the next note. What word are you going to put there? And as the tune goes on, oh, I'm getting sick of myself saying or whatever. You nearly become mortified yourself even without anyone looking at you you could be on your own and that's that's the hardest part of Lilton it's just you actually just have to have no filter and not care and just puck it out there and once you do it once or twice you you, you won't care and you'll be satisfied with it and be like okay that's it I know that now because because everyone can hum the tune it's the choice of the word that scares people I'm fascinated by the psychology behind singing and and lilting I've, I've mentioned it on on this podcast before and like i totally know what you mean about um having to practice on your own and you're probably feel, both of you will probably understand this too when you're, even when you're singing a song if i'm singing a song on my own and i make a bags of the lyrics like nine times out of ten the whole thing will just come to a halt and i won't finish the tune or the yeah. song but if I'm if I'm banging out a tune and I make a mistake, well then it's just that's my artistic impression and that's my rearrangement of it just that time around. And I won't care. But there's something when you engage your voice, you have to do something on a psychological level to to allow yourself to make mistakes that you just I don't know, you you, you allow yourself to do on an instrument that you just don't let yourself do when you're vocalizing it. Does that happen to you when you if you Dom as well, like when you're singing a song, if you make a mistake does it fall apart? <laughs> yeah. Um. But it's strange, isn't it? Like, um, like it's happened. Like it's happened. It's happened to me a couple of times when I've I've made the mistake of trying to sing when I'm under the influence, um, too far <laughs> under the influence. Right. I once actually fell asleep on stage. Um, <laughs> Well, that, 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 was, that was pretty fire, so... <laughs> yeah, but... Um, no, but but I do have... I, I have tried to even just to lilt something like The Boys of Blue Hill because that was a tune that I heard from an old um, an old fellow that lived across the road from us when I was a kid who was an orange man. He used to come over and he would lilt 
the the boys of blue hill and um and just it it's kind of like uh i i just don't have the the syllables to hand right so when i get to a turn in the chin um i i, I don't know it's exactly what you're talking about karen i just have i i don't know what to put next it's like um have you ever seen the wallace and gromit movie where um, there's a chase sequence at the end. I think it's in the wrong trousers where they're on a, a high speed train, a oh, toy yeah, train, yeah, yeah. and they're laying down the track in front of the train <laughs> as the train's going. Yeah, yeah. So it's well, kind of like that, that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I like, in a, in a way, I have to disagree with you. You do have the syllables, and I think every individual who's Lilton is there and then, and they're, they're saying, I don't know what to put next. But that's because you've never got. You probably got to a certain point in the tune, let's say, to the start of the second part, and you didn't know what to put next. And then you never probably went further than that the next time. And it's literally like layers. Once like once you've lilted a tune from start to finish, more than once, once you can do it twice, you're officially a lilt, oh. right? Because <laughs> that's... Excellent. That's the, kind of, that's, the, that's the kind of credential I appreciate, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, that was me. Like, I had two tunes, and I was a lilter all of a sudden. I was the only lilter in Cavan under the age of... 60 (laughs) like like essentially um and like it's not that i think it's just because people are so afraid of it and it's because it is scary but like it's not that we don't have the syllables we do we all like it's the first words we probably ever spoke in our lives and that's what's so hard to comprehend and it's what's embarrassing it's 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 just getting to that point in the tune and it's it's like anything. It's like you just gotta persevere with it. It kind of feels like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Like if you're playing away with a song and you know the chords, well, there could be only three chords and you're fine. You can you can go through it. But when you start picking out a melody in it, and you you can kind of well, you're at a level where you, you can start taking out some of the melody and you go, oh, this is where it's at. But if you don't do if you don't continue with that and continue working out exactly what are the bits, then you won't do it. And I suppose we all have all the syllables in our mouth, so essentially we have all the chords to lilt but we just don't know how to pick the individual yeah. ones to make them all go i don't know I, I think the hardest bit of it is just finding space to make an idiot of yourself and not to go so hard on yourself exactly and you know back to what you said about like you know making the hymns of the song and stopping or whatever like you know singing is not something i do often but I have to say when I have done in the past and when I have lilted in the past, um, I actually find it less nerve wracking than if I sat down and played a tune in front of someone on my own. And I don't know why that is like, yeah, it's, it's just bizarre. I think it's because in my head, I know I'm a better banjo player than I am all the other things. So therefore there's less room for error in my eyes. And maybe that's, maybe, I, I, maybe it's having no expectations of yourself makes it easier for me. Yeah. Um, then well, that makes sense. Playing. God, we're getting very we're getting very deep here. <laughs> that's that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you do you fancy another tune? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll play. I'll play. I'll play a real. Okay. Um, yeah, are you still are you still in the banjo? Do you still um, do you still um, pick up a mandolin from time to time or? Yeah, I can I can play a tune in the mandolin either. Uh, well, yeah, that would be lovely. Um, yeah, I might just I have to go get it. But is that going to throw you off? I don't want to throw no, you off. No, 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 not at all. I I think I'd rather. 
Ja, og vi tog med dig, så du skal til andre. Okay. I think, I think we should start. Can we start a band? There's nothing just there. A little, a little band, just me and you. Lilting. On, totally on tropical Hitchcock taste. Avenue. With our flat cap out in front of us. Yes. It'd be brilliant. I was trying to think of how to do, how to lilt wagon, wagon wheel. See, everything that, everything I do when I start... All I all I've got is the 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 that is wagon wheel like that <laughs> that is. Are you still there? Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sorry. It, it was bang out of tune. I was a uh, I tuned it to a bazooki there recently just to mess around on it. So I hope the strings don't break or anything. Yeah, because it's not hard enough, right? <laughs> huh? Because it's not hard enough. Yeah, do you know, with lockdown, I think we've all done some amount of experiment. And, well, I definitely have in a way, just... But, um... Great. 
Um, th- there seems to be a little, um, there's almost like a little sort of bluesy inflection in some of your playing, just where you kind of slide. Oh, absolutely, yeah, massively. And I owe all that definitely to Darren Maloney. Um, and plus the uh-huh. pr- probably the, the country music um, side of things. And um, a friend of mine, one of my best friends growing up was Aoife Cunningham, and she's a phenomenal all-round musician but um fiddle is her main instrument but her her father um gigged with mike denver for years he played the steel guitar and when we when i'd be over in her house like he had a recording studio and everything in the house but he was he was always jamming on the piano and he essentially couldn't play the piano but in my head he was unreal but we we used to listen to a lot of american country me and Aoife because of her father's country influence and we used to listen to like rascal flats and uh, like garth brooks and we were just mad into that mm-hmm. sort of side of country as well i suppose before before people were like when everyone was very bottlenecked into the the country pop of ireland we were c- kind of dabbing into the the american stuff at the time and it was we used to learn some weird pieces even and I don't know just to jam out in the music room in secondary school I'd say you know random riffs that we came up with and try to put them in with tunes we um and and my brother was always into that we used to we used to I don't know do you remember the baby elephant tune um, no what's that we used to we used to put it before tune like we, we did all this mad stuff but um it goes like this I recognise it from California Games. I, I don't know what it's from, but we, 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 we used to, like, three of us, like, my brother, me and Aoife, used to jam out stuff like that, and then we'd go into, like, the Boys of Balsadair, like, really, like, yeah, really random, like, um, but, yeah, we used to do all them sort of weird stuff. That's brilliant. That's such, that's such a kind of open, like, fun way of approaching the music, though. It's just, like... You know, you do whatever you feel like. Really. Yeah, well, like, that's kind of... Well, like, it was... You know, we didn't have a traditional family. Well, as in... As in, my mother wasn't a purist when it came to, to you know, music. Like, it wasn't just learn the tunes by the notes and stick to it and, you know, go to the session with the really good, good purist uh. in that instrument. Like, you know, we went to sessions like that. But at the same time, we went... I was... I was massively me and me and my brother were both in choirs. We um I went to the all girls. He went to the all boys. So we were doing choir singing, and we were in um the chamber choirs together. And I actually went to we went to France and everything singing in the choir in secondary school. Um and then we had we had our other trad friends like Aoife was definitely open minded when it came to music with the country side of things. She played classical and trad. Um then I was gigging with my friend and her dad at a very young age who he was a singer in a pub just did it for the crack one day and then started taking gigs and as he got more gigs he added me into the mix do you know so I never had it's not that I didn't have the option I didn't want to be bottlenecked into just one sort of type of music but 
I it, it comes out all of them influences comes out in my playing I think where, where did you go to school? Um, Loretto in Cavan Cavan Town what 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 kind of what what's, the, what's that school like? Uh, very strict. Um, yeah, right. it, was, it was a very strict school. Is it convent school? Um, no. Well, it, like it, no, like okay. the well, yeah. But if there was no nuns or anything there, like um, but right. yeah, it was a very strict school. But I I I chose to go to school in Cavan and so did my brother. Even though we grew up on the Lonford Westmead border, and it was very uncommon for people to go to school in Cavan Town. Nearly, I think I, I was the only girl. No, one other girl in my primary school class went to Cavan, but I'd say about a ninety percent of the primary school would go to school in Lanford and or probably more even. Um, so it was very unheard of to go to Cavan, but because at such a young age I was doing flas and my friend Eva was the year ahead of me. She's the reason I really wanted to go to Loretto because I knew she was there and she played music and yeah. And as a school, it, it sounds like they were pretty encouraging and had a good music stream. Um, yeah, like they weren't massive. Like it's not that they weren't that into trad. Um, my secondary school music teacher, Winnie, um, Winnie Hughes, and she actually passed away a few years ago. She was a massive influence on me. Um, she didn't play trad, but she loved it. And I ended up being the music prefect in final year when I was there, but... I did trad every Tuesday, I'm pretty sure. I did choir one day a week and then I did chamber choir another day. And on the fourth day, there was orchestra, which I didn't play classical. Um, and then on the fifth day, we used to just, um, we used to go, there was a small music room for piano lessons. And if that was free, we went in there and played music because I left a mandolin in school and my friend Aoife would jam away on the piano. But even if we didn't have instruments, she'd play something on piano and I could end up singing A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton or some ran- <laughs> random pop yeah. song. But um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I picked up the cello then to get into the orchestra because I couldn't stand not being in the orchestra. <laughs> so I started teaching myself the cello in school. Well, the teacher kind of helped me. And as well as that, I think everyone has to learn to play the recorder in secondary school. And I was like, I'm not learning that. <laughs> <laughs> So I said, let's crank it up a notch. I'll do the cello, <laughs> um, which was grand because I, I was never one for reading notes, but um, I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> so then probably jumping forward quite a bit, but um, you recorded a an album, was that three years ago, two years ago? Which, The Local? Yeah. No, no, yeah. that was actually just before lockdown. Um, oh, my apologies. I, I'm pretty sure it was just before lockdown. I think it was February we recorded it. Um, well, it feels like it was only February because it was supposed to be launched in April. But And it did come out during... It, it came out in April anyway. Um, or maybe it was the... So what's the background background to that, Karen? So, yeah. So I went to I went to college in Dublin. I went to Trinity and I studied science and I specialised in microbiology. And then I took a, I took a job in, in Kappa Quinn and I'm still there. And... I was I was there in a four month contract and then they offered me a permanent position and when I was four months there I was in my second month there and I was talking to a guy Dermot Sheedy he was teaching a baron workshop in our house actually at the time in Cavan and he's a he's the drummer in the Hermitage Green and I'd know him pretty well because he's been in the trad scene for a long time and he said oh you're in Dungarvan just pop into the local the Clancy's play there 
And I was like, the what and the who? <laughs> and uh, I asked around at work and no one really knew the people like Donica or them in the local that well. But I, I rocked in one Thursday evening anyway and I decided I'd drive and I'd bring two of my housemates. So I'd let them have a pint while I'd suss out the, the crack on the Thursday evening in the local. And it was just a, it was just a, a, a group, um, the, the rogues they're called, and they were sitting around singing. And it was, it was more like home, sort of a setup, if you know what I mean, with the songs and the odd tune. And I think I sat down and sang a song, which was probably the only time I've ever done that in the local. And I went in the following Thursday and I brought my banjo and Brendan Clancy was there and Brendan is one of our best friends down in Waterford um, a really really good fiddle and banjo player he was doing the gig which he usually doesn't normally do it on a Thursday but it was his birthday <laughs> and one of the guys couldn't make it so he went in and I, I, I think I stayed there till half two in the morning playing tunes and I just remember Donica sitting down watching me play and I didn't know that um, some of the lads at work knew Donica and someone came into work the next day and said I hear you're good <laughs> and I didn't know anyone and I wasn't even speaking to anyone like I was still very shy at the time I was like I'm the new girl and I was like okay and um then I got a message from the local a few days later saying are you round on Saturday night and I said I am can you plug in and I said <laughs> I can bring a lead and that's all I got and that was my first night out in Dungarvan. It was my first social socialising. Just me on my own. I just went in, ended up playing with, I think it was Mick McCauley was in there. Paddy thought he uh, came in that night. And Brendan. And um, I think there was a lad, uh, a lad there singing called Donny. And Donica was there. And again, I sat up until they were sweeping the floors and we just played tunes that was my first night out in Dungarvan and after that I was started doing gigs and started getting to know other musicians because well I suppose people that probably knew me and were friends with me on Facebook started to realize that I was living down in Waterford so I started getting more gigs and started getting to know more people because they kind of knew who I was because of going to mm-hmm. metal and all those summer schools where you meet loads of people from around so then how did the how did the recording come about? Um pretty sure since I've came to Dungarvan anyway, there's been talk of a CD. And every time I'd hear it, I'd be like, Oh, when is this gonna happen? And it all 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 steam ahead then for I think it was this year, and it was very little notice actually. Um I remember one Sunday evening around Tuesday to come in and record in the local and it was literally like that we went into the pub we recorded in the pub Benny McCarty came down and recorded us um, but myself Brendan and Jeremy had picked a set the night before ran through it once and we went in and we played it and then myself Jeremy Brendan and John Nugent did a set together as well actually um, yeah so we did two sets so the local CD is it's kind of everyone from around that would play in the local and would be have music roots in Dungarvan and ring uh, the Gweltacht at the road. And it's just, yeah, it's a real cultural CD. It's, it, it really tells the story. Like, you can just see the layers. And I'm really honoured to be on it, actually. You know, only living... That sounds, only. that sounds brilliant. Darren, that sounds like one of 
one of your dream projects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's great. Like, you know, there's there's singers on it and there's storytellers and, you know, it's just it's got a mix of everything. Like, it's brilliant. Did you, so did you get to launch it then before? No, we never got to have our CD launch, but it, it, it's on YouTube and it's on iTunes. And Can you buy it? Yeah. Yeah, you can buy it on mm. iTunes. But, and is that the best place to get it from? Um, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. And it's called the look. Yeah. Daisha. I think it's called the Daisha Sessions or Daisha Sessions. Oh. But yeah. Aye. D-I-S-E. Yeah. I'll get the uh, links from the best links for that and I'll put them all in the show notes in the on the podcast for you. Oh, deadly. Yeah. And the other thing as well that um, I want to ask you about was um, your teaching. Like you've mentioned it a few times throughout this, but it seems like what I've read about you and, and then after speaking with you that playing with people and getting involved the your your philosophy around closing the path i reckon between being a beginner to being a session player is that something like how do you approach bringing on new beginners and getting them ready to be session players yeah so teaching is something that i love like i just it was such a positive and big part of my childhood and I, I loved every minute of it that I want everyone to equally have that experience but I don't think learning should be as difficult as it is I think you just need like you need to build on layers and that the whole time and I, I think everyone's different everyone has their own way of learning like um I I used to get Damaris to play the tune and I'd hide the phone behind the banjo and record it because she wouldn't let me record because I'd put in the wrong notes and she was very strict on you know crisp and clear but I would just have to have that recording to kind of get me you know before I'd even look at the notes and you know nine times out of ten I didn't look at the notes but I think knowing that you can there's knowing that there's different ways of approaching teaching is a a great thing I, I, I don't think anyone should be forced to learn one particular way and yeah having a real open relationship with with students and with music you know to be open-minded and to know that you know put your own twist to it and there is no wrongs um so yeah the, so the course that I made on Udemy I kind of try to you know get that across to people that look at it's really your way of doing it and the pointers that I do have is to g- give it a go first of all um but I learn from doing and I not everyone is like that but you know when someone's standing over you going D E F play that uh-huh. play that like sometimes to me that doesn't go in whereas yep. um if I even even in science if I read a procedure I'm I'm reading words and I'm like this is nothing to me like as in put me in the room pop me like make me go right click left click on the computer yeah I'm getting experience there so I always say play it through once, right? It probably won't make any sense to you, but at least you'll have done it. Then listen to it. Then go back and try and play it. And then just keep keep listening to it. And like the more it's the more you hear it, the more it'll get into your head because not there's not anyone out there that has heard a song on the radio that there's not one song that doesn't get stuck in someone's head at some stage. So to me, that's that's how I learned was getting something stuck in my head. And then the notes is more of a guideline because Music isn't, like, well, trad isn't definitely not visual. I know classical can be, and, like, you know, people have wrote tunes based on what they see in front of them and notes or whatever, but trad is, is it's heard. And 
that to me you have to immerse yourself in it and that's what I try to get across with people is just let it come from every angle wash the dishes and be blaring YouTube or whatever or go for a walk and listen to your new tunes even if it even even if you're not listening to it like nine times out of ten it mightn't be actually you mightn't be paying attention to it but that's me that's what I said earlier about like I'll notice the wrong note more than more so than the right note because I was getting the bus to school I was half asleep maybe I fell asleep listening to the tunes I'm not even sure but it was just always coming into my brain that's you know my that that recept those receptors were always open and that's muscle memory and I, I trained my 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 brain to have it coming in like that all the time and I try to get I try to get that across to people and sort of say you know listen to it and have it have it there in the background and have it coming at you from every angle and before you know it you'll you'll figure it out and you'll figure out your own way of doing it it just reminded me when i was a <laughs> when i was a, a young a young fella and i'd be whatever album i'll be i was into at the time and i want my mates to be into it like when we were living in share houses and stuff i'd always i used to stick them on when everyone would start passing out, we're kind of like falling asleep on the couches at night. So I'd put on like some weird album and I just let them play in the background until like two or three weeks later, they'd be going, I really like that. Well, what is that you're playing there? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, um... <laughs> but it's the same thing. It's, it's spend time with the music. It'll seep in. That's a whole new level of psychology right there. I'm going to use that one now in the future. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, like definitely that's, you know, kids that grow up with music around them. Like, I didn't even know I was hearing the... Like, I was pure example that I didn't even know I was listening to the tunes or paying attention to them until I was four and I was able to go, he was wrong. That D mm. isn't supposed to be there or whatever. Like, um, and... So uh, your uh, online course, is that... Um, so you, are you doing two things? Are you doing, like, like Skype or Zoom lessons and you're doing, like, an online... Is it an online course that you... Did you say it was... Yeah, you would do me. Um, is that what it's called? Because, yeah, so... I started teaching in Coltis down here. So I taught in Coltis and Cavan and I did an awful lot of one-to-ones in Cavan and I really, really loved it. I missed it so much when I moved down here. Um, so that, yeah. So when I started teaching in the Coltis down here, um, I, t- I taught there every Monday in Ballyduff and I, yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I had this, I missed it. And I, I had no other music. We had no gigs, you know, with lockdown. And I knew parents were, probably wanting their kids to be occupied and I was only working every second day and I said I started sending them tunes um just emailing them to them just to keep them interested because I didn't want kids coming back in September having missed a whole year like whereas I was able to you know sit down and play with Jeremy in the house or you know listen to YouTube it's very hard for a child to keep motivated when it's not coming at them so I tried to do that and then I had a few parents actually said oh do you do Zoom lessons? I was like, yeah, no bother. Um, so I, I, I just downloaded Zoom. I started doing the Zoom lessons. You know, it was difficult with different levels of Wi-Fi. And I'm sure you know yourself what it's like to, you know, see someone and they're in that stalled position for ages. Mm-hmm. But you can hear them. But I just had this brainwave to make a course Udemy because I just I, I just thought, why, why, why not go bigger with this? Like, why not? I, I love it. it it's it's. I, I would I would do it for free like I just I love teaching I love talking about teaching to people so I decided to give it a go and make the make the course and I just did the beginners one because learning the banjo is quite 
I, I, I think it's quite easy when it's broken down and shown to people and it's amazing watching someone even adults that I've taught that have came to me it's amazing watching someone coming in from them saying I haven't a note in my head and no one belonging to me ever played music I've no ear or whatever the lingo is and I always say throw that out the window that's just negative talk and I, I, I won't allow it give this a go and look at if you can't do it after so many weeks then whatever and it's literally about getting the basics right from the very beginning like you know your wrist and keeping your thumb in the right position and just upside down and inside out with the basic notes and I don't know I, th- I think it's easy when you have someone who will explain whatever way you know you're a good learner like if you know you're good at no notes yeah. then we'll do notes if you know you're not then i'll get you to that level that you can learn by ear as quick as possible because even teaching by ear i've i don't think you can teach someone how to learn in general you can teach someone you can't teach someone how to learn because everyone has their own way of learning um but you can definitely give people the tools that you used so i have taught my students in the past how to make learning by ear easier and i don't know if it's the best way, the right way, but it's how I taught myself how to learn. And it's worked for my students in the past. I Like one student in particular, I had um, from Cavan, Jack O'Reilly, and I never forget. It was like an overnight, it was like a switch went on with him the minute he started learning by ear. He just, his, he just started eating the tunes. Like I just couldn't keep them into him. And it, he went from maybe taking two weeks to learn a tune by notes to learning four tunes a week by ear. Like, as in, it just was like, it was like a different switch went off in him. Like, you know, everyone's different. And I just think you need to tap into that. And you need, you know, sometimes there is that side of trad that can be a bit like, you know, this is the notes and you don't, who gave you that version? And, you know, that's something, that's something I try to get across. I, I try to, you know, if it sounds good, it's good, right? Who cares? Yeah. Well, I think so. One of the good things that uh, kind of has come out of lockdowns across the globe too, and like we, we saw it happen with Teresa's episode too, is that like not only can anyone in the world access like one-to-one lessons, but if you're doing like a an online course, or was it Udemy? I'm not sure. What's the name of the website? Udemy. 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 But it means like... I don't know. I could do it during the daytime Australian time, which is in the middle of the night your time, and it's yeah. like at least that's starting to happen. So and it's matching up um, the right because the right teacher and the right student is often a really powerful thing too. So anyone that of our listeners that are listening to this now, there'll be links in the show notes to um, to find out more about Karen's lessons. Karen, that was that's really great. It's been so great to have a chance to talk to you, and thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, no, absolutely, lads. I, I I really loved it, and um, yeah, no, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Been. Um, I'm looking forward to your. Uh, I'm looking forward to your online course on lilting. Oh next. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to read a book, bu- read a few lilton books or something before I uh, before I dive into that one. But um, yeah, when you were off. When you're off getting your mandolin myself and Dom are having a side conversation about how we're going to knuckle down and, and become a lilting duo and take it to the streets of Australia and earn the big bucks. <laughs> I would put uh, I would put 50 euro on it that one of you, are, the next time you're driving somewhere for a decent journey, one of you are going to lilt in the car. 
Definitely. I'm actually I, I, looking forward to a long road trip now. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can put, I, I'm just, I'm betting any, more, like I'm betting so one of you will, so yeah. Right, well, I think there's going to have to be a video in it and we'll tag you. <laughs> we will, we will. Karen, thank you so much. Do you reckon we could have a last tune or a set of tunes to go out on? Yeah, yeah. Um, George, I'll play one more on the mandolin and yeah, I'll play a, a tune called Calavel Reel on the mandolin. Thank you. was karen dolan that was brilliant crack <laughs> thank you so much karen absolutely karen, enjoyed yeah, that yeah that was that was so good um it was another one of those late night ones where um i think me and darren were sort of on the on the down slope of the day and then suddenly we just got a kick up the arse from that chat it's pretty it rough brilliant. it's pretty rough having to uh to try and go to bed after that i know and um we were saying that like the other the other week that um when when we're doing a, a nighttime interview, I have this feeling of trepidation all day. I'm always kind of thinking, oh, maybe mm. you know, maybe we could just put it off till tomorrow. But I always get this feeling afterwards of like that was awesome. So thanks again, Karen. That was uh, it was awesome. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, well, we're giving it thanks. Thanks so much to our patrons who uh, chip in and actually make this a uh, uh, financially viable project um, myself and Don have been chipping away of lots of stuff in the background I think as Don mentioned at the start of the show we've a brand new website which we've been working on for feels like forever at this stage which we built ourselves um, it all takes a tremendous amount of time takes a tremendous amount of work and um, if it wasn't for the patron saints that have gone over there and chipped in a few dollars each episode we wouldn't been able to do it so honestly thank you so much and if can I can I can I just say something, Darren, as well yeah. about that? So, one of the things that's that's so clear over the last couple of weeks since we hit the hundred thousand downloads and then went over it, and we've had such an incredible response from everybody um, who's listening and and from uh, from patrons. But there is, I'm going to say this like there's a sense of this will sound over the top, but it's not. I, this is what I genuinely feel. There's a sense of community about this that I I am really really 
uh, just blown away by it and it's awesome and I'm so so pleased and so proud of the fact that 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 this uh, podcast and that these stories from people like Karen um, are a sort of gathering place for listeners and if you want to be part of that in a different way by not just by listening but contributing go to patreon.com forward slash blarney pilgrims and um yeah i you know and that's all I Dom, say. you're right actually in 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 mentioning that it is a community if you do enjoy it and you want to make sure you, you don't miss it each week just tap that subscribe button because when you hit the subscribe button you get the notification or it gets downloaded to your app whatever way you have it set up but it means at least you know it's going to be put in front of you each week and you're not going to forget about it yeah and uh, it will also help spread the love around to other people so they'll uh, they'll get a recommendation that we're worth listening to brilliant um, and yeah karen think, thank you so much yeah thank you karen dolan that was that was cracking and we have to we have to do a part two because um i think we we left out all the dublin yeah, years the dublin years basically which we never even we never yeah. even got to in there so yeah that's um something to look forward to if you'll have us next time Karen we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, definitely do yeah. it so alright thanks all see you next week until next week hi my name is Jack so you're the best podcast in the world thank you